It's February the 6th, 2013. This is 5-Way to Show About Worcester today, and the show is Scott Shaver Duffy. Hi, Scott. Hello, Mike. And Robert Peters. Hello, Robert. How are you doing? And hopefully other people will be on the show today. I am Michael Benedetti. Today on the show... Oh, man. Where's my notes? Here we go. We're going to talk about potentially some police stuff. We're going to talk a ton, a ton about panhandling. We're going to talk about uh, the fast pace of things downtown. We're going to talk about this, that, and the other thing. This is a weekly show where we talk about issues in the city of Worcester. Hopefully uh, no more boring than it has to be. Hopefully not that. Um, hopefully not that uh, condescending. We haven't talked about panhandling for a couple of shows, and this has been a huge uh, obsession of this program. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, the city council did the finalization of passing a, a set of ordinances to crack down on panhandling. This is the third uh, anti-panhandling campaign by the city of Worcester in recent years. The first one was a total failure. The second one seemed like a partial success, but then was. Um, sort of slightly abandoned, it seems like. And the third one involves passing laws to restrict um, uh, asking for help, soliciting uh, donations, anything like that in uh, public roadways, in traffic medians, also saying that you can't um, do them in a hostile or aggressive way, like you can't repeatedly ask somebody for something, and also actually restricting time and place, such as you can't do this at night, you can't ask anyone, Scott, you can't ask anyone for help in the city of Worcester at night in a public place, nor can you do that near a bus stop or a payphone or many other locations. I have a lot of procedural hangups around this, of course, but I want to talk to you guys about non-procedural hangups. Uh, you're going to do some stuff around this for Ash Wednesday, which is next Wednesday, the 13th. Is that yes. right? Yes. Yes. So what is, what is, what is your what is your what are you going to do, and what's your guys' objection to this panhandling stuff? Well, I mean, there's two layers of, of objection. One is a strictly uh, uh, secular uh, objection. We shelter the homeless, okay. and we've been doing it for, for years. We should point out that you guys are members of the Catholic Worker Movement, right. and we are right now inside the St. Francis and Therese Catholic Worker House. Right, and uh, as people that shelter the homeless, we have a sense of how the economy is going, and the economy is probably in the worst shape it's been in in the 28 years that I've done this work. And uh, people are finding it very, very difficult to find employment, when they find employment, oftentimes it's not a living wage. Mm-hmm. Uh, housing, uh, affordable housing is very difficult to get. There's long waiting lists. More and more programs have long waiting lists. And uh, meanwhile, city budgets are, are shrinking. And as the city budgets shrink, they are cutting back services. And the city of Worcester has, uh, for example, introduced a policy in the city shelter. You have to prove two years residency to be able to qualify. And on one level, I'm sympathetic to the city because surrounding towns that are well-to-do send people in need to Worcester, and Worcester bears the, the services, bears the butt. But unfortunately, by restricting that, uh, it didn't exactly prompt Northborough and Westborough and Holden to open shelters. Yeah. So the people are just coming to us saying, we have nowhere to go. We have nowhere to sleep. And when I first started doing this work in Washington, D.C., the first winter I was there, 13 people froze to death. Mm-hmm. So I was. Uh, Brandon uh, Melkin is walking in. Scott, Scott's like shooting his eyes sideways. So I was I was aware that this is something that can happen, and I didn't want to see this happen in Worcester. And uh, uh, in the context of the shrinking government budgets and the tightening economy, uh, I started to notice more and more people uh, at street corners appealing for help. Mm-hmm. And I know that, you know even though some of these people may not be uh, doing it for this reason. 
I know many of these people are desperate because of those, uh, uh, those two phenomena happening at the same time, fewer opportunities and fewer services. And it seems to me to be outrageous for the city that's offering less services than to say, well, not only will we not help you, we will deny the general public the free chance to help you out of their own accord. Right. And we should point out, nobody would be panhandling in Worcester or soliciting donations in Worcester if the if, people of Worcester were not super generous and wanted to give that's people right. money. And that segues into the, uh, into the second reason. Now, on a religious level, and I think even in a, just a, a human level, I think people understand giving to those in need. Uh, in India, they, they start to get good karma. They say, you know, that it's a, that it's a good thing. That helping those in need is, is a decent human thing to do. And all the major world religions talk about it, about the value of that, of, uh, of giving to them. And most of them talk about it not as charity, as some condescending thing, but a sense of things are given to us who have it in stewardship, you know, to give injustice to those who don't have it. This is about a correction of an imbalance. But also, in most religious traditions, there is a sense, too, that when one is in need, it's actually meritorious to beg. It reminds us, uh, it humbles us on one level, but it also reminds us of a deep spiritual reality is that regardless of how we get the things we need to live, whether it's through work or through asking for it, all of it is ultimately a gratuitous gift. The person that works 40 hours and makes $200,000 thinks it's all from them, but did they create the air, the sun, the water? You know, all of these things are still coming. You know, everything is a gift from God. And so the beggar is someone who reaches the consciousness that we are all really beggars. We are all really dependent on each other. And human, human community cannot exist. And secular people recognize this too. Uh, Hillary Clinton were a takes a village, this sort of thing. So for these two different reasons, we oppose this, uh, uh, these regulations. And we think the particular regulations in Worcester are designed around trying to avoid First Amendment court challenges, but also they're designed around trying to make uh, begging for money so difficult, so cumbersome, that just like the regulation, you have to prove residency, that people, Worcester will get a reputation. This is a hostile place for the poor. Mm -hmm. The way San Diego had in the 80s. They used to poison dumpsters there to keep people from eating out of dumpsters. Mm. And they used to throw people in jail. As Mayor Sam Yorty, there was a sense, you go there, we're going to arrest you for being poor. And that Worcester can get this kind of hostile reputation that will keep people somehow who are on some kind of grapevine <laughs> mm -hmm. not to come to Worcester, which is, of course... Silly, because people come to Worcester because they have a relative here, thought there was a job here, they grew up here. They don't, they're not you know, testing the waters to see what the homeless services are <laughs> before they come to Worcester. And many of those who come who end up in need, the misfortune happens after they arrived. Something that they couldn't have you know, foreseen, a fire, an illness, getting laid off. More and more, this is a problem. People with multiple degrees laid off can't find work. And if they find it, it's at a Walmart for eighty-eight dollars a week or, or so, and they can't afford, you know, to uh, to live. So, uh, so what are you going to do about this, Scott? Well, we know that a number of people have raised this. Uh, Dave Macheski in our community and Robert went to some of the uh, city council meetings, and people have spoken. You yourself, I know, have spoken about David, this. David Coyne spoke about this from Jewish perspective. That's also. right. That's right. And uh, he's got a good labor history, and he spoke about it. And uh, 
We're going to go on Ash Wednesday down to a place we hold our regular peace vigil on Tuesdays, Lincoln Square, and uh, Robert Peters is starting to make these signs that show the religious tradition of, you know, uh, Jesus, Gandhi, Buddha, there'll be one of Mother Teresa, you know, that, to remind people that, uh, that you know, uh, great religious leaders, uh, uh, you know, begged. And uh, uh, as our leaflet will say, which we're going to distribute that way, in the Muslim tradition, giving to, to beggars and Christians say the same thing, too, is important because in a, in a spiritual sense, these could be angels. Mm -hmm. This could be a divine test of ours of, you know, what is our, and Jesus says in Matthew 25, whatever you do to the least, you know, you do to me. So it's like these folks that are poor on the street corners for us, you know, this is Christ and we're being judged by how we respond to, to him. So uh, we're going to go to Lincoln Square. We're going to hold signs like this on one side of the street. Robert's going to wear uh, the uh, uh, clothing that he uses to meditate at the Buddhist temple. And, Are you uh, really? Yes. That's awesome. And, uh, uh, and uh, just to say that that's not a, uh, uh, an affectation. He wears it to, you know, to do his meditation and prayer. That's a regular thing. I'm going to wear a, a Franciscan habit. And though I'm not a Franciscan, I was a, Fr uh, a Franciscan novice and uh, are certainly familiar with Francis's teaching on this question, and uh, uh, stand on the median strip, which is a direct violation of this ordinance. And, and I, I want to do that not only to challenge the ordinance, but because the ordinance, one of the claims that the city councilors are making is that there's a safety issue involved. Well, I can tell you, as somebody who's given to many a, a beggar, the ones that are on the median strips, I roll the window down on the driver's side and I give it to them. The ones that are standing where the city councilor tells them, I roll the passenger window down and have to reach across two seats, which is actually not as safe. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's, it's sort of a, uh, you know, the, it doesn't even make sense in their, in their argument. And as people have pointed out, of the, of the literally thousands of people who have done some sort of street corner begging in Worcester down through the years, zero traffic incidents. <laughs> right, right. This is a, a, a solution uh, without a problem. Right. It, it well, is this, is, this, is a, this, is, this is a solution to the problem of there are scruffy people on the street corner. Right, right. And, and I think that goes more, more to the point. Uh, they would like to say, you know, improve the reputation of Worcester, not by making Worcester a better place, but making those who make it clear that there are needs in Worcester, making them disappear. Yeah. That make it seem like a better place. You know, wouldn't it be great if the, you know, uh, if the poor just weren't being seen. So you guys are gonna be there in Lincoln Square doing this, and this is right across the street from the main police station in Lincoln Square. Yes, right. and, we wrote, and I wrote a letter yesterday to the police chief and to all the members of the city council and the right. mayor uh, telling them what we were going to do and making it clear to them because I, I say in the letter that uh, we know that the police chief talks about he's going to give people warnings mm -hmm. and lists of alternatives, which I'm very interested in because I, get, <laughs> I got six calls today from people who every alternative I suggested to them, they said they had already tried. And Maybe they, they have a different one on their flyer. Maybe. Maybe you don't know about it. Maybe they have some crystal ball. But uh, uh, I want to make it clear that uh, he doesn't need to give us a warning. I understand the regulation. This is a, this is a direct and deliberate uh, uh, disobedience of that of that regulation. Well, let me ask you this. Now, you've, you've done plenty of civil disobedience down through the years. Do you think, is, is anybody getting arrested for this? People are just going to get a ticket for this? The sad fact is, I think it would be uh, extraordinary 
for them to appear and to give me a ticket for this. And this is because you're not legitimately a scruffy man on the street corner. I, I think, all they care about is actual I, scruffy I, I people. I think were we doing this not as a, a, a as a media event, not as a, in a public way like this, were we just going to the Chandler Street mm-hmm. and had a sign, give to the Catholic worker, and did that for two weeks in a row mm-hmm. every day to raise money for the Catholic worker, I don't think we'd be prosecuted for that either. And this goes back to the, uh, uh, the back in the day where they raised a stink in the city on the food not bombs people on the common. They said they didn't have a permit, mm-hmm. and they were going after them for giving out food to the poor. Now, that was when they were really putting the, to, uh, touting the mall as a big destination location, and they didn't want the poor on the common. So we wrote a public statement saying, well, we've been sheltering the homeless here on Mason Street without any kind of permits for 20 years. And the police sent three people to our house this week. They didn't come and arrest us. They forwarded guests to us. So, uh, uh, so you know, the point then is the same point now. It's not about stopping people from begging. In fact, if they could have found a way to keep the Little League teams in business, they would have done it. <laughs> you know, it's about the scruffy, the people of color, the disabled. It's people with one leg like the man across the street. The World War, you know, Vietnam vets and so on. They, these are what they want to get rid of. I want to ask you guys a question. It's been a couple minutes on this. Then I want to give Brennan a chance to ask, ask a question. Then I want to run down all the procedural mess around this real quick. So here's my one concern, and we only have a few minutes to talk about this. Here's the gospel for Ash Wednesday. I love this gospel. Jesus said to his disciples, Take care not to perform righteous deeds in order that people may see them. Otherwise, you will have no recompense from your heavenly Father. When you give alms, do not blow a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets to win the praises of others. Amen, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give alms, do not let your right hand know, left hand know what your right is doing so that your almsgiving may be secret and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites who love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on street corners so that others may see them. It goes on and on in this vein. Well, as Robert Your said, response to Jesus, Scott. Well, <laughs> as Robert said earlier, uh, that's a great text, but it is all about the intention. Do not do this for this reason. Do not do this for this reason. And intent is very important. Uh, and this action that we're, uh, we're doing uh, is, is really on behalf of these people whom we know are suffering. And some of these people may, you know, they may die if the, if the weather, you know, becomes bad and there's no resource for them. And they're told they can't, you know, go into the library. The library changed its whole architecture a few years ago to take out chairs that homeless people used to sleep in. You know, that if this kind of change continues, you know, so this is on behalf of these other people. This is really the focus of this thing. If it, and what happens to us is, is of little consequence. And frankly, most of what will happen to us is, is similar to previous piece things we've done, there'll be three times as much criticism as, as support. Right. Most, right. 10% of the people who hear about this are going to say, oh, that's Scott and Robert, they're such holy right. men, and 90% of people are going to say, those knuckleheads, Yes. what do they think they're doing? Yes, and, uh, uh, you know, and that's, uh, but even with those people, if they are start to talk about the question of panhandling, and they may say something quite negative about it, and then maybe somebody else will say, you know, but think about that. Jesus, uh, or, 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 you know, w- was a mendicant. Yes. And St. Francis was a mendicant. And, uh, and maybe, just maybe, some of the hundreds of clergy in the city, one of them will pick it up 
and, mm-hmm. and talk about this and say, look, this is a season of Lent we're supposed to be giving to the poor or, you know, or in the Jewish tradition, or it's supposed to be, you know, distributing. And the discussion may be advanced. And if it's advanced with a few people, a few more people, then, it, then it's worth it for the, the criticism, the ridicule, and whatever you get from the others. I want to point out two things. First of all, I want to point out that there's actually going to be a live show at the Pickle Barrel February 7th at 6 p.m. Mike Andrioli is doing this. Matt Crancy is organizing this. People should go down and check this out if you see this online rather than on television. You get a chance to see that. The other thing is that there's, of course, a huge prophetic tradition in the Judeo-Christian tradition. That, you know, like the, the, the gospel on Ash Wednesday says, don't make a big deal like this. But the first reading is from the prophet Joel saying, even now, says the Lord, return to me with your whole heart, with fasting, weeping, and mourning. So it's not like there's not, I don't know, again, and a great tradition of people running down the street saying, <sighs> well, So, But uh, unfortunately, I just read a quote yesterday from Phil Berrigan. Yeah. It said, the poor tell us who we are. The prophets tell us whom we should be. But, and that's why uh, the governments hide the poor and kill the prophets. Yeah. So it's uh, you know the you know the combination. Uh, prophets were never really popular with their uh, uh, with their governments for raising you know pointing out the uh, their errors. We're gonna hurt and, this. and many of them uh, took it on the chin for it. So that association, we certainly uh, you know we're we're not trying to put ourselves at that level. This is not quite you know uh, that brave, that courageous, or even that consistent as as the prophets. They just some of them just did never let it go. And, uh, you know, we, we hope that we can, you know, continue to raise this issue in, in other ways and join with other people and, until the city uh, uh, abandons this, this, these particular ordinances. Brady Malikin. I, there's really nothing I could say that would add anything to what Scott is, the sentence Scott is, is, is throwing out there. I mean, I, I spoke to just about every counselor that I could get my hands on as this was bubbling up. And uh, it was such nonsense that was just coming out of folks' mouths in terms of uh, rationale. I fell back, and I know I've said this to you before, Mike, I mean, I I tend to try and view most of the world uh, as a parent uh, through my eight-year-old son's eyes, and going back to since he was around five, whether we were walking, driving, whatever, uh, he would always point out to me somebody who was panhandling uh, and be very, very angry and agitated if I didn't stop and give them something, and Mm. it just always struck me that, you mentioned, you know, these truths even coming from a uh, a secular perspective mm-hmm. it just seems something so obvious that if a five-year-old child can understand that if somebody needs something and they, yeah. they have the wherewithal to ask that you should at least make an effort to uh, respond mm-hmm. to, to that ask and uh, I, it just beside myself with the notion that our elected officials can't grasp that uh, it seems like too simple a concept for anyone in a leader, leadership position to kind of gloss over. I want to complain about the procedural part of this for a couple of minutes, and then we'll wrap this show up. Um, so, of course, the uh, when the subcommittee discussing these regulations met, several people stood up before them at the beginning and said, we're really concerned about the fact that well, there, there's traffic safety stuff and there's stuff about aggressive behavior. Maybe some of that's reasonable, maybe some of that's not. There's also a lot of crazy restrictions like you can't ask for help in Worcester near a bus stop. You can't ask for help in Worcester near a pay phone. You can't ask for help in Worcester after sundown or before dawn. And none of the people on that subcommittee or the city solicitor talked about it during that meeting. And after the meeting, we went to one of the counselors and we said, why didn't you talk to that when multiple people brought that up specifically? You didn't even acknowledge it. And he said, well, it's not in there. And we said, no, it is. Pull the copy out of your pocket. We'll show you. And he looked at it, and he was stunned. He was like, oh, I guess I hadn't seen that part. So at least one of the people we confirmed who voted for the subcommittee had not read it before voting for it. At the city council, when they voted for it, people stood up and spoke about a lot of stuff. I went up there, and I said the section of the sec thing that was a concern. 
None of them talked about it. Rick Rushton said, this doesn't affect anyone on a sidewalk, which is completely wrong because, again, on a side, half the time at night, it affects everyone on a sidewalk. During the day, it affects people in thousands of locations in Worcester on the sidewalk. Um, I don't think he read it. None of the city councilors mm-hmm. or the city solicitor during that conversation discussed these parts. Uh, the Telegram and Gazette and Worcester Magazine, up until that meeting, didn't mention any of those controversial parts about time and place restrictions. It wasn't until, like, the city council basically had to vote for it and then two weeks later vote for it again. The morning of the second vote on it, the Telegram and Gazette did mention these parts in their article. So, like, you get, like, a D- minus rather than an F on your coverage. But I think it's really misleading coverage. The implement, so this is amazing to me that I don't know how many of the city councilors read this. I know that some of them did not read this before voting for it. And I gotta say, it's a hard job to be a city councilor. It takes a lot of time. But like, if it's too much of, if, if, if there's legislation that you can't read before voting for it, just say, we gotta crank things down, guys. We gotta vote for less stuff. We gotta just not handle this right now because we don't have the bandwidth. The implementation of this has been a mess. They, they've, they've been handing papers out to the people on the streets saying what you can and cannot do. They mostly have been talking about only the traffic restrictions, not the time and place restrictions or the aggressive behavior restrictions. One of the papers that they've been handing out says, Safe Streets, Smart Giving. This is the city's paper. Offering money to someone standing in a roadway or on a median puts them and other drivers directly in danger. Again, we've talked about factually. Common sense, common sense is true, statistically not true. To ensure pedestrian safety, this, this activity is prohibited at or in the following areas, roadways, rotaries, and traffic medias and islands. Wait, offering money is is prohibited according to this. No, it's not. It has nothing about offering money being prohibited in this ordinance. So this paper is 100% wrong. It later goes on to say the ordinance does not restrict people's right to free speech, does not target one group of people, does not target one activity. To quote the Big Lebowski, I would say, that's just like your opinion, man. Like, the ACLU is going to sue your ass because you are restricting people's right to free speech. And again, statistically, they're probably going to win. But that's actually an important distinction. I think it's something that a lot of people miss when it comes to bureaucracy is that when you, you know, a lawmaker's job is to create a law, a statute or whatnot Mm -hmm. that's going to hit a book. It's a bureaucrat's job then to interpret that regulation and to make create, that create a set of regulations that marry up with it. So, like every, most everyone is familiar with the Mass General Law, the MGL. Mm-hmm. Most people aren't familiar with the CMR, which is actually the way each individual state agency uh, interprets their section of the MGL mm-hmm. and then creates a set of regulations to follow that. That sounds like the city of Worcester has now taken created a set of regulations that, based on its interpretation of its own ordinance, which in a way is uh, kind of genius because. If someone was to file a lawsuit, now they're actually going to be filing a lawsuit based on a regulation. You're not actually going to be filing a lawsuit uh, against a statute or an ordinance, even oh. though that's the thing you want to strike down. I so, want to ask you about this. So the city would then have a weird sort of defense that it could make that, well, what the court is asking us to do is change our regulations as opposed to changing the ordinance, which is the catalyst for the problem as a whole. Because this is So this is my question, because I think that this, I actually kind of feel like these flyers are genius in that... What the city council passed is one thing, and what the city council is telling people the law is, and potentially telling the police the law is, is a totally different thing. Well, what the law department and is, is that kind of and is that kind of like a genius way to get around this, or you're saying does, does this open up them up to more lawsuits or fewer lawsuits? No, I think what it does is sort of, in, in a way, it, it to kind of insulates the ordinance itself from legal action, and instead puts the burden of any potential legal action on a regulation. You know, okay. it's, again, our, our ordinances aren't really the thing that we work with. It's each department's regulations that are based on, a, on an internal interpretation or a legal interpretation of the ordinance which is where you end up with these multiple layers of bureaucracy that make it very difficult for anyone to navigate through. Well, well given this, though, we're, we're specifically challenging a part of the ordinance by being on the island. Which and, is not part of that. And we'll make it clear, if anyone gives to us, 
that they may be violating the regulations by giving to us as well. They are co-conspirators. Uh, you, me, by begging, and them by giving. Right. And uh, you know, we're all breathing the same cloud of. Uh, no, and I don't need to give the city any more credit as due by referring to it as genius, but just in the sense that you know, there there are so many layers uh, that an individual would have to work through to find to get to the heart of the the problem in this case, which is an ordinance that was poorly thought out, obviously. Um, and and th those multiple layers just create more and more hurdles to work through, and really, in a way, buy the city a lot of time to do what it wants to do without having to have any fear of any sort of direct legal action, which mm -hmm. is, you know, even when the SJC case that goes back to Cambridge, what, 20 years ago, that took a lot of time to actually get to the point where the, the state Supreme Court was going to hear a case uh, and actually make a decision based on uh, Cambridge's ordinance. we got to wrap this up, don't we? We do. Can we let Robert speak for 30 seconds? Yes, because I'll otherwise go, you're going to take else. the Dave Mischewski job of being right. on the show and not talking. Robert, yes. hi. You did a good job with these signs. Yeah. I know you're a very talkative and thoughtful person. I'm sorry we haven't talked to you. Am I? Do you have do you have do you have a, do you have a brief comment for the press here? <laughs> well, you had asked me earlier about that scriptural text. Yes. From Lent. Yes. Yeah. Um, as you know, that's taken from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter five, six, and seven. That particular one is from Matthew chapter six. Oh man, you you it totally is. Well, because I've memorized the entire sermon, I <laughs> say it to myself once a day. Wonderful. Yeah. And so if you look in chapter 5 of Jesus' sermon, mm -hmm. yes, when he says that, when he speaks to those who've chosen to be his disciples, he says, um, you are the salt of the earth. Then he says, you are the light of the world. Okay, the, this has to do with how, our effect in the world. Mm -hmm. At the end of that segment, he says, so let your good works so shine before men mm -hmm. so that they may see your good works mm -hmm and give glory to your Father, which is in heaven. Mm -hmm. So, on the one hand in chapter 5, he says, let them see your good works, so that God can receive glory. On the other hand, in chapter 6, he says, be careful that you do not do your good works in front of people. Why? To be seen of them to receive glory for yourself, he says, mm -hmm. to simply to be seen from them, or to receive some sort of advantage for yourself for mm -hmm. doing it. So you have to be very careful when you take one scriptural text out of context and not put it in, in the bigger picture. Obviously, if um, <clears throat> we were not allowed to do our good works in front of people, none, for instance, prayer or fasting or giving alms, well, none of us would be meeting together on Sundays for church, for one thing. Mm -hmm. None of us would be meeting together for prayer. We'd have to find a closet which, by the way, I used to do as a teenager, <laughs> taking him quite literally, <laughs> which was a little dangerous when I was lighting candles in a closet. But anyway, I came out of the closet, <laughs> and sort of figuratively speaking. And anyway, uh, <laughs> and so anyway, you do have to take Jesus in context. Um, so I could, had a, if I had a broader venue, I could point to many things in his Sermon on the Mount and then go directly to the same gospel and show where he seemingly seemed to break every one of the things that he said we shouldn't be doing. So what is important is the motive behind what we're doing. Why are we doing it? Is it a good work? We have to ask ourselves, is our going to Lincoln uh, Square to protest this ordinance, which in my opinion is, uh, is against the poor, and... Uh, is it a good work that we're doing to draw attention to this 
potential injustice. I think it is. And it is. And but, does it bring glory to God? Well, maybe, maybe not. Uh, what is? What does the glory of God mean? Robert, we got to wrap it up. When Thanks God, for being on the show. You're okay. <laughs> it's a 30 minute show I'm Michael Benedetti Brendan Melican Scott Shaver Duffy talk to you all next week bye bye guys